Welcome to the number one cookbook podcast, Cookery by the Book, with Susie Chase. She's just a home cook in New York City, sitting at her dining room table, talking to cookbook authors. Hello, everyone. It's Alvin Kailan, and I have a new cookbook out called Amboy Recipes from the Filipino-American Dream. You can also find me as the host of The Burger Show on YouTube. In the preface, you wrote, Egg Slut Chef Writes First Cookbook. If you're looking for 100 food porny egg sandwich recipes, then you're going to be extremely disappointed in this book. So you kicked this cookbook off talking about working your butt off for two years, sacrificing friendships and leveraging all your credit cards for the brand it has become today. Can you talk a little bit about how your brand has evolved and what Amboy means to you? Oh, wow. Um, Starting Eggslut was was one of the most difficult things I've ever done in my life. Uh, I, I really do believe it was like a master's and a PhD in um, restaurant and hospitality management. Um, but I think that the, the, the most clearest way I could explain that introduction, um, and, and the transition into Amboy is that I created egg slut, but I am Amboy. Like Amboy is who I am. It's what my grandma called me when I was younger. Uh, she would describe me to her friends at church as Amboy, meaning uh, American born. And it stuck with me. And then as I went through this journey through my culinary career, I realized that Amboy is actually the definition of my style of cooking because it takes all the influences of my culture being Filipino and um, mixing it with all of the recipes that I've I've learned either professionally or through where I live. You say this is the story about a brown kid from a brown family whose roots are in Southeast Asia. Talk a little bit about not feeling American enough or Filipino enough. I didn't speak English until I was five years old. I think my parents tried to speak Tagalog to me from the moment I started to, to talk till I was five because they knew that I was going to go to school in America and learn English. So they were going to leave the English teaching to the teachers. So when I first started school in kindergarten, you know, I would say and pronounce things weird. And it was always kind of like, I was the oddball out because I also grew up in a predominantly Mexican neighborhood. And so like I was already like the most different one out of everybody. Then after like school, after when school was over and it was summer vacation, my parents would ship me off to the Philippines to, to hang with my grandma. And when I was in the Philippines, I wasn't Filipino enough for the Filipinos. I was still just the American boy. So my entire life, I've been like trying to figure out my way either in American culture or in Filipino culture. And honestly, I've just really embraced the fact that I'm a first-generation Filipino-American and um, and I'm owning it. Like, I'm not ashamed of who I am. I'm actually really proud of being Filipino, but I'm also, like, very, very, very American. <laughs> <laughs> you know what cracked me up in the book was your dad was Brother Tony, the leader of the Lips to Lips <laughs> gang in Nanik. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I, my dad, I had no idea until I started going to the Philippines and, and it was kind of like a weird, like Michael Corleone moment in the <laughs> Philippines when 
like when my we would arrive from the airport and like you know seven dudes would come pick us up and we would roll in a caravan back to our native province and and while we were there people would line up to like talk to my dad and i would never understand it and one time i was being disciplined by my father in front of his dad and his dad ended up saying like hey why are you so tough on this kid you were a knucklehead too and my grandfather ended up telling me like yeah your dad was the leader like he was like the leader of the band he had a group of friends and he was the boss and i was like i had no idea so now i use that against my dad every time he gets mad at me when i do dumb things I heard you say once that your parents are pretty big haters. Do they love what you're doing now? <laughs> They're like tossed up. Like they couldn't understand my me being a cook. And then now they don't understand me being like a TV personality slash businessman. Because, you know, I'm always busy and just having lunch or dinner is like I have to schedule you a month out. <laughs> and they, they, they didn't understand that. <laughs> um, so my dad's kind of worked his way around it where he just comes and visits me at work. Uh, my mom's more of a homebody. She doesn't. She like lives in her like little bubble and she doesn't venture out. So she's a little bit more of a hater than my dad. But, you know, we're we're working on it. (laughs) You say um, sauce is a magnifying glass for food. Tell us about that. Oh, I mean, so this is another quintessential Amboy like theory, right? Because Filipino food is relatively saucy. Lots of things are one pot wonders. And so growing up, I, you know, I had an affinity for sauce. Everything I had to have, I, I mean, I, I like ketchup and it's almost on an embarrassing level. <laughs> but <laughs> I, I realized that like a lot of like American food that I eat is very dry. And I was like, man, like fried chicken. When you eat fried chicken, it's just like the juiciness of the fried chicken and that's it. And it's so different from Filipino culture because if we have a like, fried chicken in the Philippines, like we eat that with like an all-purpose sauce, uh, which is like a brown sugar, uh, breadcrumb, and like chicken liver sauce, and it's it's super super good. And then like growing up, my grandmother used to serve us fried chicken, and I would like add ketchup to it. And like when I went to culinary school and it was Fried Chicken Week, I'd ask the the chef. I said, "Hey chef, since we we have all this fried chicken that we made, is there any ketchup in, in that I can use so I can oh, eat no. with it?" And people were like, what? What are you doing? (laughs) I'm a big fan of sauce. And then even through my culinary career, you know, I've always excelled in the saucier station. Uh, It was one of the things that like I love building flavors, you know, with stock and all that stuff. So I truly believe that sauce doesn't take away, but it can definitely enhance dishes. And do you think you got that love of sauces from your grandma, Emma, who was really your great aunt? (laughs) Oh, yeah, 100%. She so she she brought in like the fanciness into my life. She she was married to a French chef and she herself actually is still cooking. Uh, she has her own uh, cafe in Montreal or Quebec. And she she taught me so much. I mean, like one of the first sauces I ever learned was just like a simple mayonnaise with Dijon mustard. And I ate it with crudite As, being seven years old. Growing up in like a blue collared town in Pico Rivera, eating crudite with Dijon mustard and, and mayo was definitely a pinkies up type of situation. And I, I, I loved it. <laughs> I was like, <laughs> oh, my God, I know this is fancy. And my, my friends would probably make fun of me like at, during the lunch hour. But I am I'm going to show this off and I'm going to show people. And you know what? Honestly, that actually like kind of helped me 
uh, socialize when I was younger and, and, and when I was a kid, because I would always bring like weird, like ketchup and mayo sauce. We would mix sauces that's, uh, during our lunch hour at school and we would mix sauces that we would get in the cafeteria. So yeah, I think I, I definitely have my, my grandma Emma to blame for that. And, uh, also my best friend, Mark Tagnipez growing up, he was like, he's literally the first person I talked to um, on my first day of kindergarten. And um, he's also a chef now in Melbourne in Australia. So, you know, I, food and, and, and sauces and all of that really like run deep in our veins. In the cookbook, you have some tips on how to make the perfect pot of rice. What is the number one thing I'm doing as a home cook to mess it up? Well, number one is you have to have to clean your rice. You have to rinse your rice because it has a lot of the excess starch and it, it has like a gritty mealy texture to it when you cook. So when you rinse off that that extra starch and you know um, you know when they dry the rice granules, it it also has like residue and 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 honestly, in the mentality of a Filipino, you're in the old world. They, they you know they would have these gigantic nets and they would dry rice and it wasn't necessarily considered sanitary. I remember vividly like my grandma tossing rice in her patio and like picking out all of the pebbles and the little rocks that were that came from the rice pods. And so we were taught to thoroughly, thoroughly rinse your rice, even if it was packaged bought rice at the store. And honestly, it really does make a difference because I actually had to fire a line cook for not washing the rice and uh, really getting bombarded by Asian Americans on our on Yelp because that day they totally could tell that the rice wasn't cleaned. Oh my gosh. I think Asian Americans probably can tell because I think all of Asia at such a young age we were taught to thoroughly, thoroughly rinse the rice. So I have a couple of egg-related questions for you, and they're super okay. random. Okay. So why do we need to crack eggs on a hard, flat surface? I personally believe that it prevents the shell from, A, breaking like the, the thick white membrane. Um, when you have fresh eggs, like, there's usually like the, the anatomy of the egg would be the thin whites, the thick whites, and the yolk, right? And what you don't want is like the thick whites to to, to break because when you crack them into a pan, you don't want the whites to run out. You kind of want it to like stay in a kidney shaped form. Um, that's one. And, and also like when you crack eggs on the side of a, of a, a bowl, it's harder for me to like control when I crack it all, all open because I have to like stick my thumbs in between the crack that I made and then open it. So there's like, it, I think really... It's just to prevent the shell from mixing with your egg. And here's my other question. Why do you mm -hmm. crack cold eggs into a cold pan? Uh, I, I personally think that when you cook eggs, when you start off scrambled eggs specifically, uh, um, fried eggs are a different story. But scrambled eggs have to be cold eggs in a cold pan because I don't know if you've ever had uh, like when you've made scrambled eggs and it, it kind of has like this like watery consistency after it's cooked. Yeah. It prevents it prevents that from happening. Um, it really just gives you the creamiest and um, fluffiest uh, scrambled egg uh, when you start off that way. Okay, here's my last one. What's the deal with chives and eggs? Oh, my gosh. It's like peanut butter and jelly. <laughs> um, 
It's just, it's something that doesn't take away from each other. Like the egg flavor does not take away from the chai flavor. The chai flavor doesn't take away from the egg together. It's just married beautifully. It's, it's like harmony in a bite. So I have to hand it to you for being so brutally honest in this cookbook, especially the mm-hmm. chapter entitled The Reality of a Success. It really shows the struggle and pull between your creative concept and control and losing that by leveling up your brand. What advice would you have for chefs figuring out exactly what they want to be? For people seeking advice, I always ha- give you the option or it's, I say, where do you want to end up? What is the end goal? Do you want to be a rich millionaire with multiple locations vacationing in, in, you know, Greece, or do you want to become like a James Beard award winner or, you know, because those are two completely different worlds. And so when you become successful and your brand is now visible, it almost becomes a household name. You have to examine yourself as a chef. Do you want to stay creative and make amazing dishes and teach for generations so that they become great chefs? Or do you want to capitalize and become a, a business mogul? And those are the, that's the crossroad. That's the fork in the road that you have to choose. And whichever path you choose, you stick to it. And you make your decisions based off of that one particular goal. Look, in the kitchen, is, is it's everything to me. And when I see customers come in and out of my restaurant and they're happy, it honestly makes everything, the hard work, the sweat, the blood, the tears, worth it. And no monetary figure for me can ever replace that. That's deep. <laughs> yeah, it's really deep because... A lot of people like think like you know when when you have dreams and goals, and you're start, you're just setting setting foot on 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 trying to accomplish those goals, you never ever plan for what would happen once you achieve those goals. I was one of those guys where like I was like, all right, well I'm gonna make a brand. I know it, it feels good, it feels right. I think we're gonna kill it. But by the time I got to the point where we were had four hour lines at the restaurant. You know, we were winning awards left and right. You know, I really did have a hard time choosing whether or not to become the next, you know, Ronald McDonald versus do I want to follow the footsteps of my mentors and chefs that taught me along the way. And and I went the old school route. And <laughs> now I feel like my job is more than just a chef. It's like more of like a, a teacher and, and, uh, and, and almost like a counselor. Speaking of killing it. When you were at Chef's Club Counter here in New York City, I couldn't get a table to save my life. (laughs) It was always packed. So I was excited to cook up the slut on page 286 because I couldn't get one made by you. Now, this dish changed your life. Ruth Reichel basically got the word out. Celebrities fell in love with it. And you even did a pop-up with Drew Barrymore and Aspen. How is Mm -hmm. this dish similar to Joel Robichon's? Oh, it's definitely 100% influenced by Joel Robuchon. Joel Robuchon was my chef idol growing up. And, and when I was in culinary school, he was going through, like, I think he had like 18 Michelin stars at, the, at that time when I was in culinary school. And he was just like the Michael Jordan of it all. 
And so when I made potato puree or mashed potatoes, I always used his recipe. And I remember doing this particular dish, the coddled egg dish, in a martini glass for like a final in culinary school. And I was like, well, that is such a pretentious dish, but it could totally be a cool dish and kind of like for the masses if we did it in a mason jar. When I created Egg Slut and we were menu testing, I used to buy like those eight ounce mason jars or six ounce mason jars at the grocery store and um, I would pipe the potato puree in the mason jar, crack an egg on it and then and slow poach it in, 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 a, in a pot of uh, simmering water and Honestly, it didn't skip a beat. It was amazing. And I have to thank Joel Robuchon for that inspiration. It's mind-blowingly simple. It is. Again, it's like the harmony of simple ingredients and everything having an affinity for each other. And then all of that in your mouth, just giving you the best experience possible. So tell me a little bit about your latest concept, Amboy. Well, so Amboy is it's like it's a loose term, right? It's a it's who I am. And so in February, when we were thinking about opening a restaurant before COVID, we wanted to create a burger shop during the day and a steak shop at night with Filipino flair in the evening. And then COVID happened and the citywide shutdown happened. And, you know, it was super hard for us to get provisions, eggs, bacon, meat. You know, I was ordering off of grocery apps and what was arriving at my home was just awful. I mean, I was ordering New York strip steaks and I was getting chuck steaks delivered. I was growing frustrated with it. So we pivoted this, the restaurant and we, we really put a focus on um, selling raw meat, eggs and bread and, and, and bacon and hot dogs. And it was for the community. And really, the community was like, yes, we need this. Because at the time, there was like a looming meat shortage happening. And um, we definitely were able to offset that for the household consumer. And the, the neighborhood is, has taken ownership of who we are. And now we are, you know, one of the better burger restaurants in the city, and also a boutique butcher shop. <laughs> so now on to my new segment this season called Last Night dinner, where I ask you what you ate last night for dinner. Oh, wow. Okay. That, well, that, that's easy. We, um, we usually don't sell any old cuts of meat, um, in the case. So on Wednesday nights, we take home a lot of the like three or four day old steaks that were in our case. So I, like last night I cooked, a. A couple of Denver steaks uh, and a picanha steak, and we ate that. <laughs> Believe it or not, we just ate it with bread, um, and it was delicious. You're a huge hip hop head. What mm -hmm. is your favorite rap song of all time? My favorite rap song of all time, even though it's almost like bad to talk about him right now because of who he has been in. in, in Are you uh, gonna say Kanye? Yes. You won't. Oh no. Uh, yeah. <laughs> He, so the song Runaway, it's pumped full of ego because there's like a five minute instrumental riff before the lyrics even start. <laughs> but that that song Runaway really described who I had to be in order to become who I am today. And it was because I had to sacrifice a ton of things. And, you know, I was called half of everything in that song. <laughs> um, um, but if you can relate to that song. You can you understand that, like, through all the hardship and, and throughout all the loss 
of like friends and family at the same time you kind of have to celebrate the fact that like you made your dream come true and you can't have the best of both worlds and and honestly that song has resonated to me a lot and it's kind of hard to listen to now because all i could hear is like kanye's current rants in in the news and stuff like that but that is definitely one of them and then i think before egg slut and before success two part that so that was my current favorite song and secondly when before all of that it was always i got five on it by the loonies (laughs) (laughs) um that was like that was like from back in the neighborhood yeah, that was like my old school jam. <laughs> that was like the anthem of our neighborhood. And yeah, those the, those two songs I think are are some powerful hip hop songs in in my personal life. <laughs> so, where can we find you on the web, social media, and in LA? I made it super easy for everyone. It's just at Alvin Kailan on Twitter on instagram and then on facebook it's just my full name super easy well i cannot thank you enough for pulling this story out of your heart and putting it down on paper and thanks for coming on cookery by the book podcast to celebrate my 200th episode with me hey 200 congrats thank you (laughs) thanks for having me Subscribe over on cookerybythebook.com. And thanks for listening to the number one cookbook podcast, Cookery by the Book.